This will not stand. That can't be justice for all. Human rights are women's rights. Change the world. <laughs> <laughs> Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. For the first time in the history of the world, a sitting head of state is in a courtroom to face charges of crimes against humanity. That head of state is Uhuru Kenyatta, the president of Kenya, and the courtroom is the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Kenyatta attended on Wednesday in person a status hearing to decide whether or not the case against him will go forward. Kenyatta is facing charges of crimes against humanity stemming from allegations that he helped orchestrate violence in 2007 following disputed elections in Kenya. And whether or not this goes forward to a trial is a big question because the case against him has been systematically unraveling as witnesses recant their testimony. Here with me to discuss the ICC's case against Uhuru Kenyatta is Mark Kirsten, who's affiliated with both SOAS and the LSE in London. He is also the author of the blog, Justice in Conflict. We discuss the significance of the hearing, what happens after the hearing, why the case against Kenyatta is so politically charged and so important for the International Criminal Court, and why it might augur poorly about the ICC's prospects of pursuing heads of state in the future. It's a really interesting conversation, totally accessible to non-international justice geeks like myself, and I heartily recommend you give it a listen. In the meantime, I recommend that you subscribe to Global Dispatches on iTunes if you have already not done so. We post one of these conversations with a journalist or think tank type person every Thursday. Every Monday, I post longer conversations with a foreign policy thought leader or luminary about their life story. Here it is, my conversation with Mark Kirsten. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, what this hearing specifically today was about, it was a status conference, and essentially what the judges wanted was clarification on precisely what the positions were from both the prosecution and the defense, as well as the victim's representative who was also there. Um, so the individual who, the legal representative of the, of the victims of the 2007-2008 post-election violence. What's happened over the past few months is that we've seen consistent delays in the prosecution and in the trial itself of, uh, of Uhuru Kenyatta as a result of different factors, including the fact that uh, the prosecution has had to deal now with hostile witnesses and witnesses that are recanting, so it's losing, in essence, big chunks of its cases and has asked for adjournments. Now, what the, specifically what happened today is essentially that the, the prosecutor uh, or the prosecution has basically declared that 
it would like to request the judges to grant uh, an indefinite adjournment. So basically an indefinite pause in the trial, essentially because the prosecution insists that the Kenyan government hasn't cooperated sufficiently in terms of providing evidence, particular types of evidence, including um, phone information, phone call information, and financial records. Those are the two biggest issues. So, so um, just to, let, let me stop you there. So basically, yeah. the, the prosecution, because it does not have the evidence it thought it had when it started the case, uh, doesn't want to totally dismiss the case. It just wants to pause it indefinitely. Is that Precise. is that what they're that's what they're doing? And why was it important that Kenyatta, or why was it demanded that Kenyatta appear in person for this hearing? The judges determined that this is a crucial moment in the case. We've had a number of delays previously uh, in those hearings where those delays were granted from the prosecution, and other hearings. Uh, regarding uh, witness testimony and so on and so forth, Kenyatta hasn't had to appear. In this instance, it was a status conference in which the judges wanted clarification and wanted all of the relevant parties to be there and be there in person. And they judged, uh, and they, sorry, they ruled last week, essentially that this was such a crucial moment in the trial that it wasn't feasible for Kenyatta to be anywhere but actually present in the court. That this was the most important, so probably the most important hearing to date, other than for, potentially the first hearing, which Kenyatta also appeared at, but this was prior to his becoming um, uh, president of Kenya. And so essentially the judges just said that the hearing was important enough that he had to be there. So this is a panel of three judges, right? And what, uh, what can they decide? What are the possible outcomes of uh, this hearing? Well... So now that brings me to what the defense was saying. So the defense, Kenyatta's defense is saying that this is all, that what the prosecution is saying is, a, is simply ridiculous. That, that the government and, and, and Kenyatta himself and his defense won't provide the prosecution with their case. They won't provide incriminating evidence to the prosecution. So they're not about to hand over say, telephone records or financial records, which may or may not be incriminating, because that would be basically defense doing the job of the prosecution. Instead, what they're saying is that the prosecution shouldn't be granted uh, an indefinite adjournment, but as a result of the fact that the, 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 the prosecution case appears to be uh, collapsing as a result of witnesses recanting, um, the fact that the, there's been so many delays that the ICC can't, that, sorry, that the prosecution can't um, uh, can't put forward a case and is asking for this indefinite adjournment. The defense is saying, well, the judges should actually just dismiss the entire case altogether, so the case should collapse. Now, so that leaves the judges with a few options, and it's not clear exactly uh, what will happen, and I don't think we received any type of indication today in terms of what the judges will actually rule on. But so they can, they can do a number of things. The two key things that they can do is they can either side with the prosecution and give them this indefinite adjournment, or they can side with the defense and throw out the case. Now, they also have other options. So, for example, they may agree with the prosecution that the Kenyan government hasn't been sufficiently cooperative and hasn't given enough evidence. If it does that, then it can potentially levy some kind of sanction on the Kenyan government as punishment for a lack of cooperation. They may also decide, and it's up, it's up to the judge's prerogative, that, that neither situation will come about. So neither will the case be entirely thrown out. 
uh, nor um, nor will they get an indefinite adjournment. They may get, for example, something in the middle. Perhaps judges could say, um, we'll provide you with a, a three-month adjournment or a one-year adjournment or a six-month adjournment, um, and we'd like to see uh, in six months from now another status conference or another hearing of this of this type where the prosecution has to come come and say, okay, well, this is what we've gotten since then. And the prosecution, I think it's important, was very clear today that despite the recanting of witnesses and the difficulties that they've had with their case, that they, ha they, they retain a large body of evidence which incriminates Kenyatta. Their fear, of course, is that, that despite it being a large body of evidence, it's not large enough for um, so our conviction. Let's uh, just take a quick step back. Uh, can you uh, sort of describe how we got here? So what are the underlying charges that are levied against Kenyatta and also uh, his co-defendant, who also happens to be the current vice president, uh, William Arutu. So what, what are they being accused of? Well, in broad strokes, they come from, in very broad strokes, they come from two different communities uh, in Kenya. And these two different communities were two of the communities which, um, uh, which in essence committed violence against each other following the 2007-2008 um, presidential elections in Kenya. Uh, a lot of that violence uh, and the atrocities that followed and the mass displacement that followed uh, actually occurred in this area called the Rift Valley. Now, so they were summoned, and this is a, I think this is a crucial point, they were summoned um, by the ICC to appear before the ICC um, to face charges relating to their responsibility for crimes against humanity during the 2007-2008 post-election uh, violence. And why I think it's crucial to remember that it's a summons is because there's a very important distinction between a summons and an arrest warrant. So they've never, there's never been an arrest warrant issued for either Kenyatta or Vice President William Ruto. Instead, the summons allows these individuals to voluntarily appear before the court. Now, if they chose, for example, if Kenyatta had chosen today not to appear before the court and had, in essence, decided not to cooperate whatsoever with the court and not appear when, the, when judges demanded that he appear, then potentially an arrest warrant um, could have been issued. And that probably explains uh, why, despite the fact that Kenya has been vociferously opposed to the ICC in, re recent, uh, in recent months, that he actually did end up appearing voluntarily at the ICC this morning. Yeah, I think maybe a, like a, a bit of context is also a little helpful. So uh, Kenyatta and Rutu were on opposite sides in 2007, 2008. Both were accused of, uh, you know, of, of orchestrating crimes against humanity uh, against the other side. And then um, uh, last year, pardon me, two years ago, uh, they ran on a joint ticket for president and so, exactly. you had this, so you had this situation where um, two wanted men uh, emerged to become like the, the head of state and the vice head of state of uh, an ICC member state of, of Kenya. Um, so, I don't know, to me, it seems as if um, what we're seeing from like an ICC perspective, perhaps, is that there is this difficulty, if not impossible possibility of prosecuting a sitting head of state because a head of state can use the tools of government and the tools of the state to um, manipulate the process, right? To, to try and, um, you know, undermine the prosecution's case, but it has like a wealth of resources at its, you know, fingertips to do so. 
Yeah. So I think I I, I think you've 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 really hit on something important here, which is the issue of resources, because the fight between Kenya, the government of Kenya, and uh, the ICC has been fought on two planes. One is the actual proceedings, uh, including the proceedings today. And the other one is the rhetorical, political one, the wider context um, of whether the ICC is unfairly targeting a head of state or another African um, individual. So, and the resources is crucial here because the ICC essentially uh, loses on both and the prosecution loses on both. So the, the OTP doesn't have the type of resources to necessarily uh, deal with uh, allegations and investigate the kinds of allegations into witness uh, tampering, um, political intimidation, etc. These types of allegations that, that have been levied against the, the Kenyan government. Nor does it have the type of resources to combat the more um, the, the public relations game. And uh, Kenya and Kenyatta have been absolutely masterful in undermining the perception of the ICE, of the International Criminal Court and, and the Office of the Prosecutor in particular. They have gotten a dramatic number of states on board. Um, directly, obviously, we see this with various African Union resolutions, um, but even just as important as the direct kind of resolutions that we see from the African Union saying that the ICC targets uh, Africans and African states unfairly, is the amazing fact that there are there's virtually none, and I can't actually think of a single third-party state, uh, whether it be a European state or Western state or whatever it may be, that has backed even publicly backed the ICC and its prosecution of Kenyatta. So what we see is either a silence on the, on the, on the part of the majority of states and a dramatic, dramatic appeal from African states to undermine and, and essentially undermine the perception of the ICC as a fair and balanced institution. I and think you did see um, the, the United States is, of course, not a member state of the ICC, but around the time of Kenyatta's election, I remember, you know, hearing, you know, rumblings from the State Department about how they're, you know, for uh, Kenyatta's opponent. Uh, and that this, I think, I think they said that, like, Kenyatta's election would complicate the United States' relationship with Kenya. Yes. So what you've, what you've seen is, that's absolutely correct. What you've seen is, uh, and I, I could have been more, um, more specific with this, is what you've seen is since the election, essentially, that, that kind of criticism has has essentially evaporated or that kind of those kinds of statements have evaporated you don't even really see the state department or other governments saying things like oh well we continue to encourage kenyatta to appear at the icc and cooperate with the icc you don't even you don't see interjections on the part of western governments well i, I uh, think again though this is this is i think you know part of kenyatta's masterful uh politicking uh right like he, mm. like as you said He's whipping up sentiment against the court, but yet he is cooperating with the court. So in essence, like this is how it's supposed to work, right? Like the ICC um, prosecutor levels charges against someone who, even though he's a set head of state, you know, is not immune from the jurisdiction of the ICC, uh, you know, a really powerful person. That person then submits to the authority of the court by going to the court as he did today. 
Uh, and, you know, the evidence you know, gets, gets to decide whether or not he faces trial. So on the one hand, this is sort of like the international justice system working as it was set up to, to do, right? I, I think you can read it that way in the sense that, you know, it is it was a remarkable day in the sense that a hitting uh, sorry, a sitting head of state appeared before the ICC. Obviously, we know that, you know, Kenyatta actually um, stepped down as president for a day um, and provided the presidential powers to William Ruto. But in essence, in practice, really, a sitting head of state appeared before the International Criminal Court. And that, that is a significant um, as you say, it's a significant moment and it, it suggests that something's working right. However, I think on the whole, the Kenyatta trial has been really quite costly for, um, for the International Criminal Court and, and, and for, the, for the Office of the Prosecutor in particular. There are serious allegations, um, political allegations and legal allegations that are testing or, or suggesting that you know, the International Criminal Court w and the Office of the Prosecutor, again, uh, in particular, wasn't competent enough to build a proper case that could have brought, um, that, that could have um, led to further hearings and led to a, um, a conviction even, you know, that's obviously way down the road, but even, you know, that they're on the edge of, of, of this case collapsing um, and that that's because the ICC or the Office of the Prosecutor didn't build cases and didn't build its investigations properly. So that kind of information and those types of allegations are now coming out. So it's losing the public relations battle on the one hand with its relationship with African states, but it's also losing something serious and it's coming not from its necessarily its critics, but also some of its advocates, which are essentially saying the OTP, the Office of the Prosecutor, did not build good cases. It built awful cases. Um, its investigators did not build a sufficient case to move this uh, to move proceedings forward. And I think, in the end, it's more costly uh, than not, and it has been more costly than not. The big question, I think, now is precisely what the Office of the Prosecutor is going to learn from this, and not whether it can actually. Uh, you know, it, it can actually get get a conviction in the in the Kenyatta case. But again, you know, so it may reflect badly on the office of the prosecutor. But then there's like, you know, this is also justice. How how justice is supposed to work? Like impartial judges, uh, you know, make their judgments based on the available evidence. And if the available evidence isn't there, then the prosecutor, you know, can't go forward with with his or her case. So I mean, this is you know, kind of like a check against the power of the prosecutor in a way. Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't think, um, I don't think anybody should measure uh, the success of international tribunals on the basis of how many convictions they get. You know, acquittals demonstrate the, dem are, are very good demonstrations of fair trial standards because acquittals tend to only happen when individuals are provided with a fair trial. Um, so, in that sense, you know, if uh, everything else being equal, which again I don't think it is, but everything else being equal, if you held everything equal, then yeah, I think I think the the, the judges will rule, and I think their decision will be widely respected because they'll do it on the basis of the evidence that's being put forward to them. Um, the question is, and I think this is crucial. This is absolutely crucial, and at this point, it might be 
as important, if not more important, than the fate of Kenyatta himself are the allegations of witness tampering and why particular witnesses recanted and recanted on a number of occasions, provided f false testimony, and how this case ended up with four hostile witnesses. Um, this is crucial because the ICC will never be able to build any type of case if, um, if, it's, if it isn't clarified invest and investigated transparently and effectively as to what exactly happened here and who's at fault, whether, who, whether it was uh, pro-prosecution groups coaching these individuals and therefore they recanted, or whether it was government uh, intimidation and intervention with witnesses on the part of Kenya. This is absolutely crucial right now, I think. And it, I, I sincerely hope, and I think a lot of people hope, it, that question and, and that investigation doesn't end with uh, the conclusion of the Kenyatta hearings or the Kenyatta case. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye. Oh, and a little sneak peek. Next week, interview on Monday is going to be with George Mitchell, the George Mitchell. Very excited for that. Okay, we'll see you next week. Bye.